Psalm 56. To the choir master, according to the dove on far off terebinths, a midcom of David, when the Philistines seized him and Gath. Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me when my enemies trample on me all day long, for many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife, they lurk, they watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crime will they escape? In wrath cast down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know, that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. This is the word of the Lord. Join me in prayer. Majestic and merciful Father, would you help us to hear from you now? Every man and woman, every boy and girl in this sanctuary knows what it means to be afraid. Knows something of what it means to live in fear. And so by your word and by your spirit, we pray you would give to us wisdom and insight. That we might know how to navigate the circumstances of our lives that tempt us to fear in ways that honor you and lead us to light and life. In the name of your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. I imagine if I were to chat this morning to some of my fellow Christians in various places around the world, places like favelas or informal settlements in and around Rio de Janeiro, dusty cities like Malakal, South Sudan, and I were to tell them, hey, I'm preaching on Sunday at McLean Prez on fear, they might be tempted to ask, fear, McLean Prez. Well, what are they afraid of at McLean Press? What are, they, what are they scared of in the suburbs of northern Virginia? Scared their barista might get their coffee order wrong? Maybe their electric car runs out of power before they get to a refueling station? Maybe the Amazon form gets after them too hard? <laughs> we can acknowledge that for the vast majority of us here, We don't face imminent or regular threats of physical violence against us. And we'll see here in Psalm 56 that David indeed does face those kinds of threats, but he he speaks of other harms that are headed his way as well. But all of us in the sanctuary do battle with fear. We do face fears week in and week out, day in and day out. Well, what do we fear? How about when our company loses that contract and now there's going to be downsizing? How about kids when you're starting at a new school? You can be scared of that. 
How about my single friends? Sometimes we're scared we might never find the one. And parenthood, right? Parenthood brings with it a thousand and one fears for our children. And some of us in here want nothing more than to be a parent. And we know the struggles of fertility. My wife and I know full well that with miscarriages, each and every pregnancy thereafter brings with it constant 24-hour-a-day battles with fear. And then here we are in Northern Virginia, in this context that's full of uber-competent people, type A personalities, that move here, and you know what they bring with them? Their fears of failure. Their fears that their hidden mess and their hidden brokenness is going to be found out. Friends, if we're honest, fear affects all of us, and for some of us, it controls and consumes us. So, so what are we to do? How are we to be faithful to God's law with our fear as we um, await our Messiah? Psalm 56 teaches us three things. It instructs us in three ways that we are to admit our fears. And then trust that God is for us. And then walk in faith. Admit our fears, trust that God is for us, and then walk in faith. We see that David admits his fear. We see it there in verse 3. He says, when I am afraid. That's right. Uh, David, the warrior, the, the giant slayer, the one that they sing songs about of him slaying the ten thousands. He says, when I am afraid. So in this specific instant, in Psalm 56, why is he afraid? You know, this psalm has something that the other psalms you've studied this summer, uh, that they didn't have. It has a context indicator there in the line right before verse 1. If you look there, it says, When the Philistines seized him and Gath. All right, and when the original audience would have read that, their heads would have been flooded with details of that scene. And if you want to know in depth those details, you can look at 1 Samuel 21 and 22. But let me give you a quick rundown. All right, David has been anointed king. He's, he's slayed the giant, but he's not reigning at, as king right now. A guy named Saul is, and Saul is trying to kill him. All right, so David is on the run. He's on the run from his people and on the run from his land. And so he runs to a city called Gath. You want to know whose hometown Gath is? Goliath. Gath is Goliath's hometown. How bad does it have to be that you're running and taking cover in your enemy's hometown? But that's what happens. He rocks up there in Gath and guess what? People start to recognize him. Right? Because that whole David and Goliath thing was a pretty public spectacle. And some of them actually say to the ruler of Gath, hey, that's the guy they sing those songs about. You know what David does? David uh, starts letting uh, some saliva run down his beard. He starts drooling on his beard. He starts acting crazy. And so the ruler of Gath says, listen, I got enough crazy people in my city I don't need one more. And so that gives David an opportunity to escape. And so he runs and he hides in a cave. 
And our psalm this morning, Psalm 56, is one of three psalms that connect back to this time of David alone in a cave, on the run from his people and from his enemies, humiliated from just acting like a fool. There he stands. That's the backdrop of this psalm. He stands alone, hunted, hiding in the darkness, and and he writes about what his enemies want to do to him. 24-7, they seek to oppress and trample and attack, and then it's not just physical violence. Verses 5 and 6 say, hey, they want to injure my cause. They're twisting my words, stirring up strife. His enemies attack his reputation and his work. Some of you in the pews know all too well how hurtful that can be. And so it's painfully obvious from David's situation that he has to turn to God's mercy and God's grace. If you look at all of these cave psalms, Psalm 57, Psalm 142, and this psalm, they all begin in the same fashion. God, give me mercy. God, be gracious to me because that's his only hope. Listen, it's almost impossible not to admit your fear when you are hiding in a cave. And you and I can't hope to deal with our fears until we admit them and until we turn to God for his grace and for his mercy. And that's a problem for many of us in this D.C. area. You want to know why? Because for many of us, we have such a wealth of resources and skills and talents and relationships that when we approach these circumstances that are frightful, we turn to them before we turn to God. We trust in them before we trust in God. It's, it's tempting in this culture and in this context to trust in our intellects, to trust in our investment accounts, to trust in our networking skills. But Let me tell you, those might work for a while to get you out of frightful circumstances. But sooner or later, you're going to find yourself in a cave. It might be a cave called cancer. It might be called sending your freshmen off to college this fall. It might be being a freshman at college this fall. It might be dealing with a loved one's addiction or mental health issues, but at some point or some time, you'll find yourself in a cave. What cave are you in this morning of fear? What one have you been in recently? Because there will be circumstances that you can't buy your way out of, you can't think your way out of, you can't leverage your professional relationships to get out of. The best and only thing that you can do is admit your fear to God And plead for his mercy and grace. And here we believe that grace changes everything. We need to admit our fears. And then we need to trust that God is for you. Admit your fears and then trust that God is for you. David devotes the majority of this psalm to talking about what he does when he's afraid. And he even gives us a chorus in the middle of his song. You guys know how choruses work, right? They're they're repetition. They're there to impress a certain truth in and on our hearts. We just sang, he will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. For my Savior loves me so, he will hold me fast. Well, the chorus of this song, of David's song, 
We find it in verses 3 and 4 and 10 and 11. There's slight variations, but they basically say this, I put my trust in you, in God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? What David does when he's afraid is put his trust in God. Not in himself, not in his ability to manipulate circumstances so that he doesn't have to be afraid. He says, no, I trust in you. You also see there that David's course makes a big deal about God's word and God's word who I praise. Because David or you and I cannot even hope to know God, much less trust him, unless we know his word. His word that is full of promises for us and his faithfulness to those promises. Let me ask you this week, what's your plan to know God's word? Not so you can have some kind of moralistic accomplishment or check off some spiritual box, but so that you can have any hope to trust in God when fear comes your way. Now both of these choruses end with an interesting question there in verse 4 and verse 11. What can flesh do to me? What can man do to me? And when we read David write this, we're tempted to look back at him and say, seriously? What can man do to me? I mean, David, you just said trample, attack, oppress. There's an 18th century Scottish poet named Robert Burns. And I'm not just quoting Scottish poets to get on James's good side. He has a phrase in one of his poems that gets at one way to answer David's question, what can man do to me? The poem is called, Man Was Made to Mourn. It's, it's a real pick-me-upper. Uh, but in, in this poem, there is a phrase that gets at the answer, and, and uh, Burns' phrase speaks of man's inhumanity to man. Man's inhumanity to man. It's an, actually a phrase that uh, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. used to describe the atrocities he saw in the fight against civil rights. What can man do to me? Some of you know the answers to that question. Man can abuse me. Emotionally, verbally, physically. Man can abandon me. Man can betray me. You can go to United Nations refugee camps in South Sudan right now if you want to see what man can do to man. But David seems to be getting at something different here with these questions. He's making this point that God has this way of saving This way of executing his justice that regardless of what man does here and now, things will be made right fully and finally. Because even though this psalm speaks of tears, we know in Revelation that there will be a time when every tear is wiped away. We'll see in a minute that we should not fear the worst that man can do to us. But another reason that David gives for, for trusting in God and trusting that God is for him is that, because, that God knows exactly what's going on in his life in intimate details, how David is feeling, what he's experiencing. We read it there in verse 8. Would you read verse 8 with me? You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? And in studying this psalm again this week, I realized again The Bible is often more honest about life than even I am willing to be. It speaks of sleepless nights and secret tears. 
Right? I, I love this verse. And apparently James loves this verse too because I was going for a run a couple of weeks ago listening to his sermon on anger, Psalm 79. And all of a sudden I hear him quote Psalm 56 verse 8, this verse. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Stay in your lane, Forsyth. I get to preach on that verse. But, but I can't blame him because it is breathtaking. That the God of the universe, the sustainer and creator of all things, knows when I am awake at 2 a.m. in my new house, surrounded by unpacked boxes, battling with the fears that come along with this call to plant a church and uprooting my family and children from a neighborhood and a school that they love and starting all over again. God knows my tossings and my tears, and he knows yours too. That's why David trusts in his God. And remember, these the Psalms are, are looking forward to a Messiah. And when this Messiah arrives, when he shows up on the scene, he speaks to these two realities. This reality that we should not fear the worst that man can do to us, and this reality that God knows the intimate details of our life. Jesus shows up on the scene, and in Matthew chapter 10, he says, Do not fear those who can kill the body. You got that? He's saying the worst that can happen to you is not those that can kill the body. That's not the greatest threat. He said, do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. Don't be afraid, therefore. You are of more value than many sparrows. You see, if, if the Father reigns sovereign over sparrows, how much more so the lives of his sons and daughters? You can trust God is for you because he knows, and even in the Messiah in the incarnation, you can take that one step further. God not only knows uh, from an awareness level or an informational level, and God becoming man in the incarnation God knows at an experiential level, an existential level, all that you face and all that you fear. Because, you know, Jesus coming to this world, he faced our fears. He faced betrayal by his closest of friends. He faced the sad reality of losing a loved one. And he faced the physical pain and violence that the cross brought to him. You see, we have a Savior that can sympathize And so let me encourage you this week as we wrap our heads around this reality that we can say with David, this I know. My God is for me. Because that right there, that right there is the antidote to fear. The knowledge that God is for you. The antidote isn't just to pursue safety you know, above all else. The remedy isn't trusting in your self-confidence. You don't arrive at fearlessness by pursuing safety or self-confidence. You arrive there by being deeply rooted in the knowledge that your God is for you. We need to admit our fears. We need to trust that God is for us. And 
Finally, we need to walk in faith. David ends this psalm by making it very clear that this knowledge, this confidence in his heart and soul and mind that God has formed, it it changes the way that he acts. It affects his life. Remember, the psalms equip us to experience the full range of human emotion that we might be faithful to God's law as we await our Messiah. David's confidence moves him to faithfulness. He says, hey, I I must perform my vows. I must give my thanks. In light of all that God has done for me, I can walk before him in the light of life. This first week was my first week on the job, but the past couple weeks, my wife and I snuck in here to enjoy some Sunday services and just get the lay of the land. And last week, I was sitting right back there, and I heard a lady named Daphne share. And I hope to meet Daphne and her family at some point. But Daphne shared about fear and about faith in a way that aligns perfectly with what David is saying here. She shared about this fear that that relates and is connected to her child with special needs. And how that fear had kept her isolated, kept her in a cave, if you will. And then she talked about how when faith came, it moved her out into community. And it just didn't move her out into community. It it empowered her and others and moved her and others to actually love and serve and care for other families in the life of the church whose children might have special needs. That's what moving from fear to faith looks like. That's what walking in the light of life looks like. It also looks like a church that is radically committed to planting other churches. It's not safe to plant churches. It's not easy to plant churches. In so many ways and to so many people, it makes absolutely no sense to send people away from the church to go start something new. To give hundreds of thousands of dollars to start something new over there instead of pouring them in here. It takes faith. It's scary to start a new multi-site initiative. Right? It's new. It's uncharted territory. It would be so much easier and safer and more comfortable if we could just put things on cruise and enjoy the ride. But God does not call his saints to primarily pursue ease or comfort or safety. No, he calls us to be so radically rooted in the reality that he is for us, that we're willing to lay ease and safety and comfort down so that others might know of his marvelous grace. So this week, take note of those things that cause you fear and turn to your God who is for you. And if, if you find yourself in your cave of fear in the days ahead, Ahead, I want you to remember this, that your Savior found himself alone in a cave as well. There was a stone rolled in front of it, and there he faced his greatest enemies and our greatest enemies, sin and death. He defeated them for you and I, and he walked out of that cave into the light and into new life, and he invites us to do the same. That's where our hope lies. That's where our refuge lies. So when you're afraid this week, admit that to God. 
Trust that he is for you. And walk in faith, bringing light and life to you and giving it to others. Let us pray. Father, we do confess that many times we are afraid. Day in and day out, in the wee hours of the morning, we toss and turn and there are tears because of relationships, because of brokenness, because of our needs of provision. We are so easily tempted to be afraid. Would you help us? By your spirit and through your community, would you, would you help us turn our hearts to faith in you, to trust in you, and to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that you are for us because we see that in the cross of Christ. You gave us him. Why would you withhold any good things? Father, we surrender all of our needs to you this morning. In Christ's holy name we pray. Amen.